good to be back. I really, really missed you. This is the first time in probably 15 years that I have not preached for two Sundays in a row. And that was, uh, that uh, was really an ambivalent experience for me. Um, it's neat to force myself to sit and listen to other people. I need to do that. Um, we went to an island in Lake Erie for vacation, and we went. The only two churches on the island are an Episcopal church and a Catholic church, so we chose the Episcopal church. And I'm afraid I totally messed up. I never knew when to sit and stand, and they were always, you know, they knew the responses, and I didn't. I felt totally out of place, you know. There was a guy in front of me that had a mosquito on his back, you know, and here you want to rescue your brother. <laughs> so I went, whack! Missed the mosquito. The guy turns around at me. Oh, dear. So. I came here the second Sunday I was gone and heard a fantastic message. It is so great, by the way, to have so many of you in this body who are equipped by the Lord to preach. I mean, there are many, many people in this body who can preach every bit as good as I can. And that is a blessing. Um, you will never lack for preaching in this body, and it is really, really neat. So I came here and was blessed the second Sunday. Let's get to this message. Let me just go through it technically first. He began speaking a parable to them. Now this is, if you will read the passage in Proverbs 25, this is a duplication of that passage in 25, of the wisdom, the pearl of wisdom in Proverbs 25. But yet Luke has designated it as a parable. In other words, there is something deep, something woven within the fabric of the way things are created that you need to pay attention to here. He says to the invited guests who he noticed they'd been picking out the places of honor. And by, this, by the way, this takes a lot of gall to go to a party and notice people and start giving them a lecture. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast... Now, he points to a picture. This was not a wedding feast, but he points to a picture where things are very much already arranged. That is, when you're invited to a wedding feast, you don't go to the rehearsal dinner and say, why am I not at the head table? You know, there are, those things are already arranged. You don't say, why can't I stand in the reception line after the service? I mean, I have as much right to the spot on the floor as they do. Things are already arranged. And so he, he points to a gathering of people where there will be an arrangement that you are not welcome to make. Somebody else is making the arrangement. And he says, you know, he goes on and he says, don't take the place of honor um, because someone more distinguished than you. Is that a hard thing for us to realize that there are people that are more distinguished than we are in life? Sometimes it is for some of us. Uh, they may have been invited. And then he'll come and say to you, well, uh, give this place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed. Now, to read that, it would, he would be naming an event. But how many of you have had times in your life that are so, that have happened, that were so embarrassing? Randy told me a time in his life, uh, one time, he tells this story to the kids, that is so embarrassing that every time, I mean, it will just crop up and you will think of it and you'll have the same feelings all over again. you go, ooh, it's the present infinitive verb. That is, it is always in the present. 
Every time you think about it, you go through that embarrassment again. And so what Christ is trying to do here is save us from that kind of episode where we make such clods of ourselves that we will go through embarrassment for the rest of our lives. Um, then there is the, uh, and it says, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he says, then you uh, go and sit at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he, not you, he who makes the arrangements may, it says, not will, may, in this particular instance, say to you, friend, move up higher. Then, okay, then you get honor. Only when someone else designates it for you. There are some things in this world that we cannot manipulate, that we cannot arrange. First, to those of you who are on the receiving end, and all of us are, this parable is not really about arrangements at a dinner. This parable is about a, a source of disquiet in us that makes us not satisfied with what we have. These were all invited guests. That is, they had all already been differentiated from the crowd by the host, by virtue of being invited. Therefore, they were already special. But there were some, and there was one, who wanted to be even more special, the most special. I read an interesting article in Psychology Today this week. It was entitled, When Having Everything Isn't Enough. And the title, or the, the article, was about those people who are already rich beyond any need, who risk criminal conviction by illegal activity, ostensibly to get more money. Ivan Boski, before he was convicted for insider trading on Wall Street, had a personal fortune of $200 million. More money than he would ever need. But yet he risked being caught in a criminal activity. Why? For more money? The, uh, oh, who are those brothers uh, that are, huh? Hunt brothers, thank you. The Hunt brothers. Personal fortune, billions of dollars. Not more money than they'd ever need, more money than they could ever use. Are convicted for trying to corner the silver market of the world. Why? Why, when you would have more money than you could ever use, would you risk criminal conviction? Well... There's a therapist who deals, and who has written a book called The Success Syndrome, who deals with that kind of folk, who already have all the money they can use, yet they are so needful of being recognized even more. And he said that is one of the secrets. That's one of the reasons, because we all have a need to feel special. No matter how much we have, 
We all have a need to be recognized in a special way. He says differentiation is the whole purpose. It's not about money. Stephen Berglis is his name. He says, I have never treated a client, a patient, whose problems stemmed from material deprivation. They always stemmed from emotional deprivation. Now that's good news for you who can't buy your kids polo shirts and all that kind of stuff. Your kids aren't going to be scarred for life. But it's bad news for those parents who will say to their kids, I will not give to you emotionally unless you perform for me in a certain way. Because you're in for some real problems. He says that we all need to feel special. We need to be differentiated from the crowd. And that's why these people will risk anything in order to be recognized. Well, the Pharisees who came, there was not a more respected class in all of Judaism than the Pharisees. Not a rich class, but a respected class. And yet they went to a dinner party and they were picking out places of what? Honor. They already had honor. They were already lifted up, but yet they wanted the special place of honor. And you know what that says? That says we need to watch out inside of us to not abuse the chosenness we already have. There is some chosenness that you have. I know that all of us sometimes feel unloved and sometimes wonder if we're any different from the crowd. But the very fact, A, that God loves you says you have all of the love you can ever use from the creator of the universe before you even become a Christian. You have that. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, you see. You've got, before you even begin to follow Christ, God loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He loved the world before he sent his son. There's a love for you whether or not you are a Christian from God because he created you and he loves you. That's the problem I have with this doctrine of total depravity. Total, I can buy total depravity if it means that we are totally cut off from God and we cannot get back under our own effort. But if total depravity means we are absolutely, totally, utterly worthless to anybody, including God, I don't buy it. It's not biblical. It doesn't make any sense. So anyhow, I'm, I'm getting wound up here and I'm not going to have a very short sermon. We've got to take communion. Um... There are things that we just need to accept. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been invited to the party. As a matter of fact, you're at the party. If you're not a follower of Christ, by the way, you can make that decision this morning. Go to the party. It lasts forever. You're invited. You can start. Your invitation is Jesus Christ. 
And all you need to do is invite him into your life. You can say, I realize I'm out of the party. There's nothing I can do to invite myself into the party. But Christ is my invitation. I'm going to accept that invitation this morning. You can do that this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, you're at the party. This is it. (laughs) This is the party. The problem then for you may become, how can I get to the front of the party? How can I get to the head table? And let me just say to you, that's not your call. You've already been chosen. You are a chosen race, 2 Peter 2.10. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're already chosen. But the chosenness for certain spaces is not our call. Those are things that can only be noticed about us and then chosen for us if God chooses. Now, this is not a matter of self-esteem. Self-esteem comes in when God chooses you for something, you say, oh, no, I'm not good enough. You know, go find somebody else. I'm sure you can find somebody better. And God says, no, no, really, you. They say, no, 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 not me. That's a self-esteem problem. This is an arrangement problem. There are some things you can't arrange for. They have to be so woven, you can make yourself a candidate, which you do when you accept Christ. But they have to be so woven into your character that other people notice. When we were on vacation, we have a nephew, Greg, that we love very much. He's a neat, neat guy. He's a third, going to be a third-year student at Northwestern. And he works on the docks. He's a longshoreman, like uh, Mary Jo here somewhere. Um, works on the docks. Um, and one day, Beck and I rode our bicycles downtown. It was an island. Uh, maybe I already told you that. I'm getting old. It was an island. We rode our bikes downtown, and we were sitting there having yogurt. And this huge truck comes up this path, it has this real heavy stuff, we, we, we heard it laboring up the path, and it hit something, and crash, everything went off the truck. I mean everything. We looked around, and here's Greg and two of his friends hopping for their lives because they could have been crushed in the whole thing, and somebody ripping out of the truck and looking at the mess, and of course they, here comes the language, you know? Now, I'm not offended by colorful language. I grew up with colorful language. Everybody cussed where I came from. And so, except for the Lord's name being taken in vain, it doesn't, it never, but Becky's another story. And you could just see Becky's eyes trained on Greg. Now, Greg didn't know we were there. You know, we just had turned around with our little yogurt cups. And here's his aunt watching his lips. And, of course, all the rest of these guys, when you're scared, you know, you reduce to the lowest kind of denominator. And, and, and here's Greg, and all the other guys are cussing. Greg didn't, didn't say a bad word. He just started laughing and said, boy, we were almost killed, and so on and so forth. The estimation in his aunt's eyes of that nephew went up 100% that day. More than if Greg had come to her and say, look, Aunt Becky, I got this many Boy Scout badges and I got, you know, I did this good in school and, you know, I'm really a nice guy. And, you know, he could have done all the things to arrange that himself. But the fact that she saw him and he didn't see her and she could choose him and say, that kid's got some character. See, that's what happens. So there are some things in this life you can't choose and you've got to come to a place 
where you say, you know, if I never get chosen for the head table, I'm just glad to be at the party. Just glad to be at the party. That's the first part of this. The second part is to hosts. Now, if you will notice, both of these parts imply a wonderful symmetry in the way that the universe is made. Wonderful symmetry. And it says, and this is recognized, by the way, uh, in every major religion. In the Eastern religions, it's called karma. In the Western religions, it's called justice. But it says, basically, you will reap what you sow. I mean, that is the law. And that's what's recognized by every religion. Okay. This is saying, there's a wonderful symmetry in this world. Now, we're taught about this from the time we're in school. Listen to this. This is not going to be easy. But stay with me on this. From the time you're in school and you learn about mathematics, you learn one principle. That both sides of the equation have to match. Right? When you are translating fractions into decimals, or you're translating one fraction into another fraction, you know that both of them have to be equal. And as you progress through the school system, through higher forms of math, through algebra and through geometry and through... And then you go into chemistry and you go into physics and so on and so forth. The law always stays the same because of the wonderful symmetry of this universe. I read a book by a theoretical physicist a couple of of, uh, months ago, and it was called Perfect Symmetry. It was about how the universe was made. Because of the wonderful way the universe is made, it is your job to make sure that both sides of the equation match. You know what? We grow up doing just that. We take it from class into our personal relationships, and then we start to arrange both sides of the relationship. You understand what I'm saying? You start to make sure that whatever you give is matched on the other side, and if you don't think it's matched on the other side, you start to arrange so that it will be matched on the other side. It's a matter of symmetry. And what this is saying is that there are some things you can't arrange at the expense of the relationship because you can either lay back and let them respond in a natural way, let them fill in the other side, or you don't have much of a relationship, you're paid in full. Anytime you arrange both sides of the equation, you're paid in full. That's it. Now this is not saying don't ever have your family over. You know, don't ever have your friends over. I hope it's not saying don't ever have your family over. Our our vacations are shot for the rest of our lives. It's more of a balance. It is saying that when you have your family over, don't think it's a good deed. What you're doing is maintaining a relationship. That's what you have to do. But there's nothing specifically meritorious in that. It's a quid pro quo. It's a something for something deal. And when you get that other something, when you've arranged for the other something, or you have your friends over and you like your friends and you feel better because because you've had your friends over, you've gotten your reward. There's There's nothing left over for a spiritual virtue in that. And that's okay. That's as it should be. 
However, there ought to be some times when you give pro bono for good. You can't arrange the other side. It's free. And you don't arrange the other side. With your family, there ought to be some times when you don't arrange the other side. Because as much as you have to arrange the other side is as much as that's a done deal, it's a transaction, but it's not the building up of a relationship. It's our anniversary. And I said yesterday, hey, Beck, what do you want to do for our anniversary? <laughs> Mr. Plan Ahead. Now, I, let me tell you something. I admire you guys. Some of you guys are so neat. JT's like this. Some of, some of the rest of you guys who will take responsibility. You arrange things. You kidnap your wives off. They don't know where they're going. You have it. You hire the babysitters. I love you guys. You guys are so such a good example. On the other hand, <laughs> I said, well, how about dinner and a show? And Becky could have said, dinner and a show. Well, that's, that's good. That was good last year and the year before. She could have said that and been accurate, but she didn't. You know, Becky said, that's great. I, that's so neat. You know, and I said, well, how about, you know, and I suggested a couple, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Okay. Now, that's not very good. I'm an absolute slug when it comes to arranging for things. But it's better than, you've heard this conversation, honey, it's our anniversary. Yeah. Do you want to do something? Yeah, that'd be fine. What do you want to do? I don't care. You want to go out to eat? Yeah, that'd be fine. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Well, how about Bennigan's? Fine. Where do you want to go to show afterwards? Uh-huh. Well, what show do you want to go to? I don't care. Well, how about Ghostbusters? That'd be good. Yeah, you want to see any of those shows? Uh-uh. Ghostbusters okay? Yeah. Okay. And then she goes off and makes all the arrangements. How much do you think she gets out of something like that? Almost nothing. Why? Because she's, she's made both sides of the equation. She's made the arrangements and then she's run around to, you know, to receive it. Doesn't work that way, does it? You can't, you can have a complete transaction, but you can't build a relationship like that. Same way with your kids. Now, when your kids are little, you have to arrange for everything. What you've got basically, when your kids are little, is one elementary canal. That's it. I mean, you feed one end, you clean the other end, and that's it. I mean, they can't do anything for themselves. But when your kids get bigger, when your kids get bigger, there has to be a diminishing frequency of your arranging everything in their lives. And if there is not, you haven't got much of a relationship. You have an arrangement. You are trying to fill in both sides of the equation and you are having a very frustrating time of it because your kids will fill in their own side and it will not equal what you thought it would. Parents who say, after all I've done for you, are trying to arrange the other side of the equation and it doesn't work. See? There's got to be a time when you say, here's what I've done. I've done what I thought was right. Now you put in the other side of the equation. And then you have a chance of a good relationship. Same thing with our giving. You know, there are some of us who give on emotion. Well, I'm not going to give just to anything. You know, show me a hungry kid that's an orphan. I'll give to that. Yeah, I'll pitch in. 
See? Well, go ahead. And that's better than not pitching in. But you have your reward. You haven't given anything. What you've bought are good feelings. How many of us say, I give because it makes me feel good? Well, if it makes you feel good, you've got your reward. That's not really giving. It's not letting someone else fill in the other side of the equation. You show me a missionary that's undergone torture for the Lord. Man, I'll give everything I got. And that's wonderful. And that's what you should do. But it's not specifically spiritually meritorious. Because you are supporting your own need to rescue them. That is an emotional reward in itself. Your church needs money. Boy, I'll give money. Sure, I'll give money. I don't want my church to go down the tubes. But when, when do you just say, Lord, this is yours. It's not mine. It's yours. And anything you want to do with it is fine. In other words, when does it come time for God to fill in his own side of the equation? See, that's what faith is. It's letting God fill in his own side of the equation. His own side of the equation. That's what giving is. It's not arranging for the other side of the equation. It is stopping with your own side and hoping that you have a response over there that's appropriate. But if you don't have, you've risked it for love. And you've risked it for their sake. And you have not tried to do everything for your own sake. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. There's got to be a time when you don't arrange. There's got to be a time when you realize first that you're already loved. There really needs to be no emotional deprivation in your life. I know we've been hurt by people. But bottom line, God has done His job and He's loved us more than we can ever spend, more than we will ever need. Greg Luganus is cute. They ask him how he takes the pressure of international diving. And his response is, I get up on the board, I take a deep breath, and I say, even if I blow this dive, my mother will still love me. And then I go for a 10. Even if we blow this, our Father will still love us. We have everything we need. We don't need to arrange the other side of the equation. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we love you. As we are about to take this powerful symbol of your giving for us, this symbol of how you gave your life and left the decision in our hands about how we would respond, let us also take into ourselves that same leap of faith and love you in such a pure way that we are giving without naming the results. It's in your spirit that we pray this. Amen.